Break Fix Podcast is all about capturing the living history of people from all over the autosphere, from wrench turners and racers to artists, authors, designers, and everything in between. Our goal is to inspire a new generation of petrol heads that wonder, how did they get that job or become that person? The road to success is paved by all of us because everyone has a story. It's always interesting when you come across a fellow petrol head, especially a Porsche enthusiast, while sitting across a boardroom table. Not long ago, our guest, Mark Porto, and I were killing time before a meeting and came to the realization that we were both car enthusiasts, and Mark has some really interesting stories to share. Finding another petrol head in the most unlikely of places is akin to a Highlander moment, or I guess in nowadays terms, your spidey senses goes off. I'm really excited to hear all these stories and see where this is going. So welcome to Break Fix, Mark. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm uh, thrilled and honored to be here. So I got to start with the first question. Is it Porsche, Porsche, or Porch? Which one is it? It is is Porsche and only Porsche and will always be Porsche. My dad uh, drilled that into my head when I was about eight years old. And I think the first time I called it a Porsche, he said, we call them Porsches. And from that point on, it's been Porsche for me. And every time I hear it, I just kind of cringe. That being said, you've teed it right up in the sense that you understand that Porsche started before the year 2000, much like Audi and some of these other German brands that are now at the front of our conversations in the petrolhead world. So how far back does your Porsche legacy go? So my Porsche legacy goes back to about the time when I was uh, you know, eight or nine years old. You know, like some of the folks in in the space, I'm lucky because I was born into it. You know, it was just, you know, really, really interesting, you know, to to look back at, you know, how I got indoctrinated into the petrol head world. And um, ironically, you know, my dad, you know, when I was a little boy, he was building and racing quarter mile race cars, American muscle, Chevelles and that sort of stuff. Eventually, you know, went from being a, a car builder um, and, and racer to a motor builder and for off, offshore power boats and for quarter mile cars. And then he got himself out of that and then became a BMW guy. And after that, he was a Porsche guy. So, you know, about the time I was eight years old was the first time that I ever uh, had a 911 in my dad's garage and uh, understood the quirks and the sounds and the smells of those cars and fell in love with them ever since. Nothing quite like an air-cooled 911. So what year? Let's start with that. What type so of 911? The, the first 911 my dad owned was a 1972 uh, 911S. And nice. it, was, uh, it was green. It was beautiful. He would, you know, wax it and wet, wash it with a diaper. Being a, a sports car guy and a gearhead, you know, uh, that car was outfitted with Weber carburetors before we knew it. It had a free-flowing, you know, exhaust system before we knew it. And eventually, you know, found its way into becoming a track sled. So I really understood the grunt of a 911, you know, a flat six air-cooled motor. And as a little boy, there was there was absolutely nothing like it. I mean, I still remember the sounds of that, the door shutting and, uh, you know, in that car and the smell that, you know, that car had. And uh, It's the, know, the smell of melting crayons, right? All old German it, it, cars... Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, but that was it for me. And I love BMWs. I like Ferraris. You know, I, I always see, you know, the new Audi R8s and I go, oh, that's a pretty cool car. But for me, you know, um, 911s are, are really uh, where, you know, where, where it starts and ends for me. So did you come up like I did and you actually had a VW in the family before there was a Porsche? I did not. Um, you know, the, the first 
air-cooled motor, aside from a lawnmower that I ever, you know, that I ever was, had experience with was, was a, a flat six, 3.2 liter 911 motor. And, nice. um, and, and that, that was, that was it. I like Volkswagens, a neighbor, you know, even younger had one and I never, you know, forget looking at the, you know, start and end of that motor. Like, that's it. That's, that's all that's in there. And she, yeah, that's it. But for me, you know, my real experience came with, uh, with the 911s. You know, as our listeners have come to find out, I've hinted throughout various episodes that we were a VAG or Volkswagen Audi Group family for a very long time. We've had a VW in the family since the very early 60s, you know, starting with my grandparents. And the curse has continued up until this point. And much like you, we didn't end up with a Porsche in the family until way later. And our first one was a 74 914. So, you know, we're part of the mid-engine crowd, you know, the, the, the ones that are shunned, the black sheep of the Porsche world. You know, we're not going to talk about those 944 people, but, you know, <laughs> but uh, no, it's cool. I mean, there's this camaraderie amongst us air-cooled guys, right? Where a lot of people did get their start with bugs and Carmen Gias and things like that and finally evolved into 911s. And what's funny is you and I both grew up in a similar area of the sure. DMV in kind of central Maryland. And that was a hotbed back, especially in the late seventies, early eighties for drag racing. You know, you had Coleman brothers, which is now Autofab. You had Sartwells, which was a big Porsche place. You had the guys that were sponsoring the bug out way back when, which was held at the old dominion raceway. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of this air cold community in the DMV, which is now I would like to say maybe evaporated a little bit, but I think it plays into your past a little bit more too. So let's talk about, you know, the evolution of your Porsche past and your dad's racing heritage. I think it's a great story. So I grew up, you know, in Beltsville, Maryland, and my dad was a drag guy and he and his friends. And I was young. So, you know, my memories and the sights and the sounds and the smells of those cars you know, they, they really just evaporated to, you know, memories. Sometimes you think, oh, you know, it couldn't have been that cool or there couldn't have been that many motors and that many cars around all the time. I was on Facebook one night and uh, there was this uh, group, Beltsville, historic Beltsville reminiscent group. And um, they were commenting on this book called The Beltsville Shell. And one of the guys that I live in Annapolis now that I, I've come to, you know, become good friends with, well, he was part of the original Beltsville crew. And we're now we're talking late 60s, early 70s. And he commented to me, he goes, hey, Porto, do you know your dad is in that book? And I'm like, what? And he's just like, your dad is in that book. So I bought a copy of a book called The Beltsville Shell. And it's The Beltsville Shell and You Are What You Drive. And the book was written by a guy named Kerry Thomas who I remember his name, I remember his voice, I remember him coming and going, you know, in the house. And um, he essentially outlines, you know, the, the him growing up in Beltsville and um, integrating himself with a group of car guys. They were Corvette guys, they were Chevelle guys, they were Ford guys. And uh, my dad, it was a University of Maryland. As the story goes, per the book, you know, they were working at the Shell. This car comes in, it was a Chevelle and it had, you know, no exhaust system whatsoever. And he said, hey, I'm looking for a guy named Carrie. I heard he can help me weld these, uh, you know, uh, headers onto this car. And the guy said, yeah, I'm Carrie. And they became really good friends. And my dad was indoctrinated into this group of gearheads. And he was the first one who had a professionally sponsored track dedicated car. So um, it's so cool. So, you know, to read through this book, you know, it's all, you know, you start recognizing the names and and some of the stories. And, um, you know, I know there was folks that passed away that my dad, you know, was telling me about, oh, you should have seen this guy in his Corvette. It was blue. And after the accident, it was all over the road. Well, they kind of detailed 
detail some of these stories in the book and, uh, you know, to read it, one, it rejogs your memory, but it provided such clarity to, um, you know, to some of the stories that I had heard from my dad, you know, over the years. It's living proof that those stoplights were a quarter mile apart on Route 1 as well, right? So, <laughs> it, uh, so these guys, they had, you know, the Beltsville Shell was a, was a service station. And, and, you know, back then, gas stations weren't really where you went and pumped gas. They were service stations because the cars needed a lot more care and feeding than cars today. So, um, it was a service station by day. It was a speed shop by night. So this book, you know, outlines and, you know, you and I grew up in the area. We knew it pretty well where they actually had, you know, marked out quarter mile, you know, stretches and they could block each side of the road and test their cars, test the performance, build them, break them, build them again better. So it was, uh, it, it's cool, but, uh, it's been a while since I've lived in Beltsville. I, I moved out of the area about 20 years ago, but, um, you know, just to, to read the stories, it brought me right back to, you know, that early age in time. And then when I had my license and kind of explored how fast cars can go on the same stretches of roads, you know, doing the same thing. So, you know, you said your dad's first Porsche was that 911S, but what was your first car? So uh, my first car, my first car was a hand-me-down from my dad. So my first car was a, a Volvo Turbo because uh, it was a family, you know, grocery getter, but it was a lot of fun and, um, you know, it treated me well. The first car that I picked out and bought on my own, Paul's, was a Volkswagen GTI VR6. Oh, uh, I, and and my son, I have, a, I have a 16 year old son. He's so much like us. It's not even funny. And he is, uh, you know, he's got his eye on the Japanese car. But every time I, we see one of, you know, the GTIs, whether it is an R32 or Type R, I'm like, that's, you should drive one of these. You should, you should, you know, you should try this. He's like, I don't know about a hatchback. I'm like, you have no idea, you know, how much fun these cars are. That car did everything it should have done. And then some, it was reliable. It was fast. When I was bored with it, there were all sorts of mods, you know, it would float around the corners at the track. I mean, it was, it was an unbelievable, unbelievable experience. And I kept that car clean. I never crashed it. And uh, it treated me very, very, very well. So I'm going to guess that was a mark three or yeah it was a 1998 vw driver's editions vr6 gtis those things are still sought after to this day i mean there's a huge cult following for the third gen gtis so that's really cool at the same time you had that my dad picked up a first gen corrado vr6 so i was tooling around in that in the 93 slc you know five speed the whole nine yards and you know, it's funny looking back, you know, same power plane as the GTI, although the Corrado was built on the Mark II chassis, yeah. uh, which shared some parts, you know, there's some similarities with the Mark III's. Back then you're like 172 horsepower in a front wheel drive. It was like, man, even a drop of rain or you hit the paint stripe the wrong way and you do a one wheel peel. Nowadays you're like 172 horsepower. What is that? That's nothing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the balance of, of weight in those cars too, oh, yeah. is, you know, was, was so precision and, and it was such a... It was such a fun car to drive. Uh, you know, it was my Porsche, but I didn't have a Porsche budget at the time, but it did, it did everything. And um, I still wish I had that car today. And like you said, there's a cult following and I'm one of those guys, every time I see them on the road, you know, I just, I mean, I'm amazed and you see them in really good condition. People take yeah. care of those cars, which tells you, you know, tells you something about the, uh, the importance of those cars in the overall big scheme of things. So color? Black on black on black. All right. <laughs> 
You couldn't black. get that with the Corrado. That was so annoying. We ended up with a red one because my dad was dead set on a black leather interior, which only came in like two cars. If you wanted a black car, you got tan. I don't understand yep. these combinations, but you're very fortunate. So I happen to be a fourth gen guy. I it, it was, Oddly enough, I went through a similar thing where you know I was buying a car and I was actually dead set on getting a SVT Focus. Yeah. And my dad was like, you need to drive the new GTI. You just, got, you got to go drive it. I'm like, ah, I don't know. It's kind of big and bloaty. I don't like it. You know, cause I was a Mark II yeah. kid, you know, I wanted a Mark II really bad. And then I went and drove a VR6 and I was like, all right, I'm done. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> Have a nice day. I like your dad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So your GTI, your dad's got the 911. And so there's obviously an evolution there. So what came next and what got you to the track? So that car got me on the track. So that car was the car that I would, you know, bring to, you know, uh, Friday at track events and high performance driving clinics at Summit Point um, and those places. And that was the first car that I really piloted around a racetrack um, with an instructor and had had an absolute blast. Hear that listeners, fun wheel drive. He started with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it really was. And it, I mean, you know, just a, a little plug for that industry. It really taught me what that car was capable of doing. Um, it taught me what I was doing right and wrong in that car when I was driving it. I was a much better driver on the beltway and every exit ramp, um, you know, because of that experience. And when I started graduating to, um, you know, other cars that had more power that were more finicky, I don't know that I would have kept those cars on the road as long as I did had it not been for that, you know, those track day um, experiences. Well, I had that GTI and, you know, I always wanted, I always wanted a, a 911. So my first 911 was a beautiful car. It was a 1988 Carrera factory correct Carrera whale tail, Fuchs wheels. It was an absolutely, you know, gorgeous, you know, silver, they call it granite green metallic. It was a phenomenal car. It was unmolested. I bought it from a fellow named Tim Holt in Pennsylvania. Tim Holt was the driver for the inner sports cars. So um, he had a, you know, a very boutique dealership, if you, if you can call it that. He had a garage full of beautiful 911s. Most of them were race cars, um, but some of the, the, you know, regular 911s were just cherry that was the car that i saw and i had to have damn it that car became mine so a lot of fun it's the door is closed it sounded just like my dad's it had that burning crayon smell just like the rest <laughs> of it. it was a ton of fun and that car was even funner to start modding when i felt that i was ready to kind of step it up and move that car in, in different directions. You know, it had Bilstein coilovers all the way around. So it had a European stance. It didn't have that stance look like you see at car shows. It had a European ride height stance. Um, very, that means very... you can still see a gap between the tire and the fender. Yeah, I get it. Exactly, exactly you know, but you got to be careful what tires you put on because that gap is very important. After that came the, uh, you know, stainless steel fab speed headers on back. That unleashed a lot of power in that car. That car also, um, you know, quickly got a fab speed cold air intake in it. I never chipped that car. The other thing that eventually we wound up doing was doing a twin plug conversion on that car. Oh, so wow. Nice. Two, two spark plugs per cylinder, then fuel rails and fuel pumps and all of the, all the other stuff. And it was a uh, reliable as can be. That car never broke down on me. It's always treated me well. I never burned through, um, you know, parts aside from tires because I was going through those, you know, as fast as we go through pancakes. <laughs> oh man, it was just, it was just a, a ton of fun to drive. And it, 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 you know, it made a lot of noise and, um, and, and made me, you know, made me really happy. And that car was also a monster on the track. 
you know, in my opinion, limitless power is just very, very predictable um, to drive. Still use a handful to drive, but that turned into, you know, my track baby. Yeah. And there's something to be said about that, that, that a lot of people don't realize there's a, there's an allure and there's a mystique around the older Porsches, but mm-hmm. they are a handful to drive. They take okay. a lot of awareness and a lot of concentration and a lot of patience in some respects. The new Porsches, anybody can get them and go fast. And I'm not trying to offend anybody that's listening, but it's true. There's so many more computers and gadgets and gizmos and things keeping that, let's call it bad design, under control (laughs) because of the pendulum effect that it has. Just it's a front wheel drive with five reverse gears. Let's be serious. But there's an art to driving those cars fast and driving them well. And when you do master it, it's a lot of fun and you get in something else and you're like, it's just not quite the same, but it prepares you for some really interesting situations on and off track for sure. Oh yeah. There was a story you mentioned during our conference room session about a motor that mysteriously disappeared. I believe this was for your Carrera. Do you want to unpack that one for us? So that's a, oh God, thank you for reminding me. Um, So as I mentioned, the Carrera had a lot of work done to it. And uh, when you start putting that kind of work into those motors, you start to measure the life of those motors in hours, not miles. You know, I knew that there was going to be a need for, you know, a new motor. So I had, you know, Peter Dawes in uh, Dawes Motorsports build a 3.2 liter motor, not a dedicated track motor, but a performance motor that would go in a street car um, that was still um, drivable. That motor wound up in my dad's garage wrapped in plastic on a pallet because he had more space than I did. You know, my dad eventually died of cancer, but as he started to get sicker and sicker with cancer, um, things that were important to him, he felt good about giving them away. So a lot of tools you know, went to the guys that, you know, maintain his, uh, his home and his yard and other things like that. And at some point, one of these guys said, hey, you know, sir, what are you, you going to do with that motor? He said, I... I don't even know what that motor is. He said, I think it's broken. He's like, if you want to take it apart and tinker with it, you're more than welcome to it. And Oh, man. Next thing you know, they must have come in, you know, two of them and lifted up the pallet and put it in the back of the truck. And um, we were there. And I think it was like Christmas Eve or something like that. I was in the garage and I came back. I said, Dad, well, you know, where'd you put the motor? You know, what happened to that motor? He goes, oh, that old motor. I don't even know what, what car that was from. He said, I think that was broken. I gave it to the landscapers. That was the last I ever saw of that motor and the last we ever discussed of it. <laughs> it took you a minute to get your jaw up off the floor yeah, though. I, uh, I, and you know, my fault shouldn't have been there, you know, and, um, but. Everybody has one of those soul crushing car moments where you're just like, did that just happen? Whether it's like the new motor you built just blew up or something like this occurs or just, you know, anything could happen, but it's just like, everybody's got a story like that, a moment like that. It was, it was still wrapped in plastic with my name on it. It was still wrapped (laughs) in plastic. I didn't even really open it and smell it. I'm thrilled my dad had a huge heart and, you know, thought he was making somebody happy. And I hope, I hope, I hope that motor wound its, found its way into, you know, something super cool. And um, yeah, because and it would be really hard to put it in anything. It's a flat six. It doesn't fit in a six. lot of cars. No, I, I, so I said either, you know, what were they building an airplane? Like, what are they doing with that motor? And uh, <laughs> I, I have no idea, but that was the end of it. That was nice. the end of it. 
So let's talk a little bit more about Porsches. And so obviously you joined the Porsche Club. I think we're in the same region, as a matter of fact, which is another common ground we have here. I've, I've literally been in PCA, I think, since I was a little kid. So, you know, it goes back as far as I can't remember. But, <laughs> but with that being said, so where did you evolve to from that early Carrera 911? So after that Carrera, so I wound up selling that car, um, you know, it was a, one of those things where, you know, somebody wanted to buy that car and I felt they were the right owner for that car and they knew what they were getting. They understood everything that was there and um, they, they hit that car with a paint meter and they said, it's never been painted. I said, no, it's all original. You know, the paint's all original and the guy wanted it. They wound up buying that car. My next uh, 911 was a uh, 2008 911 um, GT3. Oh, wow. Again, triple black, black on black on black. And, um, you know, that was uh, that was kind of a dream come true for me because I, I, you know, watching the IMSA races and and, and watching what GT3s do on, you know, on the circuits, you know, it's just just amazing to me. And I, I always wanted to be responsible for something that made that kind of sound. The stars aligned and I wound up getting my hands on a, uh, you know, a black on black on black, you know, 911 GT3. And it was, um, oh my God, it was a riot to, uh, it was a riot to, to drive and own and, um, but a different Porsche experience. It was, um, it was hard to drive. You had, it sat so low, you know, I went through three chin spoilers on that car, never ripped them off, but you know, you scuff them and you're like, okay, they're like uh, pencil erasers, you know, they wear down so quickly. So I would go through chin spoilers on that car, brake pads were, you know, were, uh, were a lot of fun. Um, those big ventilated discs were kind of like cheese graters and they would just take them down and, um, but the car was a blast. I mean, the car was an absolute blast. I um, did not do anything to that car. I didn't mod that car at all, it, just because it didn't need it. It had such an even distribution of power, and it it was quick, and um, you know, quick from start to stop, and it stopped like a million bucks. And if you had a long road and um, and were brave and you put the loud pedal down and let it eat, um, that car would, would would scare you with how quickly you know the speedometer started to um, point down and. Uh, uh, it was it was amazing. It was amazing to own. So that you went from air cooled 911 to water cooled 911. That's a whole giant jump. No 964s, no 993s in between. Nothing straight to the 996 now, platform. You know, my my dream car is a 993. You know, and I'm not finished yet. You know, so when it's time for another one, I would absolutely kill for a 993 Carrera. You know, uh, Carrera or a, a 964 Turbo. There's something about the lines of uh, a 964 Turbo. I think it's just one of the most beautiful cars ever built. And whether you see one of those on Instagram or you see one in real life, I mean, they just seem to get better and better and better with age. And I feel that way about the 993s as well. But, um, you know, those are the uh, those are the last of the last air cools. You know, one day, one day, I hope. Um, you know, get my hands on one of those as well. And it's funny you mentioned that because just the other week I posted on Instagram, a friend of mine out in Washington state happened to pick up all original 993 garage kept super low mileage in that like Merlot color. They came out when yeah. they introduced them. Beautiful car. You know, he's a Corvette guy. He's at all the other cars. And he goes, that has been my unicorn, like basically a first run 993. And I was like, man, you made it. You crossed that finish line. Congratulations. And then it was like, how do you like it? He's like, I, I love it. It's, you know, it's the best thing ever. And I'm like, okay. Now I will say, you know, I don't know that I could own a 993 because the prices are going up. Thanks to, and same yeah. with the 964. Thanks to Singer, right? They're taking all those cars and turning them into those resto mods and all that kind of stuff. And, and some of the other companies out 
out there doing that sort of stuff. But I did get the opportunity to ride in a 993 twin turbo. And for me, that was like, it was right up there with like the F40 and some of these other cars where it's like, if I ever get a chance to ride in one of those, and I did, and it was, it was mind blowingly fast. And what's funny Mm -hmm. is it came from this desire from when I was a kid, because my uncle owned a 930 turbo. And so I got a a chance to ride in that with all the giant turbo lag and kicking you in the chest and everything that goes with that. And it just left such an impression that it was like, if I ever get a chance to, you know, ride in the biggest, baddest 911 turbo out there, I want to get the chance to do it. And that was absolutely phenomenal. So it's funny you mentioned your uncle's 930. So I too have an uncle with a 930 that's been in the family for a long time. And um, I remember when, you know, he was kind of teetering on, you know, should I sell that car? Do you want to buy it? And uh, I didn't have garage space, but I should have bought another house with the garage and a bigger garage and got my hands on that car. That too was the first turbocharged Porsche that I had ever been in. Still to this day, you know, that's another one that I would love to get my hands on, but you know, that was, that was an amazing memory. And um, you know, I, I would, I would kill to get my hands on that car. I don't think it'll ever happen, but, and the prices of those are. Oh, they're out of this world, out of this world. And you know, what's even worse is if you have a slant nose, right? A real one. My uncle's was converted. I won't say why it was converted, but it was converted. But it also gave way to the fact of why our 914 was converted to a slant nose. So it's all like, it's all related (laughs) in one way or another. I mean, so yeah, I mean, there's some really cool stuff with the older 911s. Like I said, when they made the switch to water cool, I think your GT3 is one of those that everybody goes, yeah, that's the car. I want. I don't want to say one of the last good ones, but it's one of the last driver cars, right? Speaks that Farfignugan, right? That yep. driving pleasure that we got from the Volkswagens and some of the older BMWs, like the E30s and, and things like that, where now they're space shuttles. They're, you know, yep. they've got all these computers and all this stuff. And, and I notice in the Porsche world, people are really gravitating towards the Cayman, right? Mm-hmm. Not the Boxster so much, sure. but the Cayman, which I secretly laugh and say, ha ha ha, they finally got the 914 right. Ha ha, gotcha. Yeah. So there's something to be said about all that. It's all about the being a driver's car and, sure. and, and that. So what was the experience like at the track with the GT3 compared to you know the other cars you had been with? Well, I mean, so that's where that car really came to life. You know, that car felt at home on the track or any high speed, you know, opportunities as it did anywhere else. It actually felt more at home, you know, when you had that car at performance speed. Again, it was super, super balanced. Just an amazing, you know, distribution of weight and power. You had to always be one step ahead of where you wanted to be versus where you were because you would wind up in, in, a, in a bad place. The gearbox was so chunky and beefy. It forced you to think about, you know, every shift and, and, and the clutch was so heavy. And yeah, you, you know, you became very, very autonomous over time, but that was a car that you had to drive and you had to think about. It didn't have the top end as a, you know, ZR1 Corvette or, you know, some of the, you know, big American, you know, cars that would be on the track too. But in the turns and the twisties, that car was, was butter. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable and uh, predictable and you could hammer a couple curbs here and there and that car would pop up and plant itself back down. And, you know, you never really had to get off the power. It just kind of, it took care of you. Just an absolute riot to drive. Horrible in beltway traffic. Uh, <laughs> horrible in beltway traffic. Well, um, what is good in beltway traffic? I don't, <laughs> a helicopter, I don't know. I, I, 
I would, uh, on the, on the rare occasion where I drive that car to work or anywhere, you know, and I'd get stuck in, you know, bumper to bumper traffic when you watch the temperature gauge there, you know, and you're like, I thought there was, I thought there was water in this car, but, um, my leg would, would be so sore from the clutch because it was such a heavy clutch. And every time you, you know, engage or disengage the clutch, you had to think about it because you didn't want to be that, that guy with the stalled out 911 on the beltway, which never happened. <laughs> Ever, never, ever. Never, never. You talked about the track a lot. So two questions for you, and they kind of go hand in hand. Of the ones you've been to, your favorite, and the ones you haven't been to, your bucket list. Daytona Sports Car Course is absolutely my favorite. It's one of my favorite vacation destinations, and it is by far, the I think, one of the coolest tracks to um, to slide around. So that's the Rolex configuration, correct? Correct. Again, you know, I grew up watching IMSA car races. I grew up watching the 24 hours was like the Super Bowl, you know, in my house. And, you know, and it's been slightly modified over the years, but that was the Mecca, the pinnacle of motorsports. And, uh, you know, finally, when I got there to, you know, witness a a Rolex in person, it was unbelievable. But then to to drive around the track and, 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 you know, feel what that banking feels like to come off that banking into the infield and, you know, go from um, top gear almost you know tacked out to third gear in the second gear and in a hard 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 left turn and then under power through the twisties again it just um you you know you feel like Derek Bell you feel like you know one of the, the racing icons who spent you know years moving around that track I would love 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 to um there's two tracks I would love to go around Le Mans and I would really love to go around the Nürburgring so as a gearhead and watching all of the new cars get tested to see who can, you know, break the records on that. Um, you can't help but watch a lot of Nürburgring videos. I watch them all. I watch, you know, cup car races from the 90s uh, because, hey, it's it's really cool. And you get to see exactly where those guys position those cars and how they position those cars around that ring. I've never been there. Um, been to Germany a couple times, but I've never been to, to the ring. If I had a bucket list. Um, and I do that, that one would be the top of the list. Very cool. Get all sorts of the ones that surprise me are the guys that like live around here and they're like, I want to go to Watkins Glen. I'm like, dude, that's like four hours. (laughs) At least give me Laguna Seca or something, you know, Coda, I don't know. Right. But yeah, no, that's super cool. So Mark, you mentioned IMSA and I'm a huge IMSA fan as well. And I, 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 I'm not shy to admit that my number one love is rally, but we won't talk about that because nobody likes talking about rally. So it's okay. We'll find a guest eventually that wants to go there. But IMSA is my second love, right? So I grew up in the Trans Am era, you know, Willie T. Ribs, Hurley Haywood. This is when Hans Stuck was running with those guys, you know, group 44 cars, all that kind of thing. I was always rooting for the underdog, right? Having followed group B, I followed Audi into Trans Am and then into IMSA. So where I found my, you know, my second home, our listeners can't see it, but you know, you're a Porsche guy, but you're wearing some BMW swag. So what's going on here? Oh, you, you an M8, so- you M8 M6 guy? What's going on? No, no, no. Um, so my, so when I was, I was in high school, I think I was a senior in high school. Again, this is another one of those life episodes that I'll, I'll never forget. My dad, you know, had a, uh, had a Carrera, another Carrera and, um, I heard him in the garage and I was always, you know, I was always the guy that, you know, 11 millimeter wrench, no, the, 11, the other 11 millimeter wrench. So I was always running back and forth. And, you know, I started hearing him calling my name, you know, Mark, 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 come up here. And he had his arms, you know, in the car and, in, in, you know, Porsche contortionist fashion. 100%. There was an alternator that was bad in that car, but that alternator was like, you know, two weeks old in that car. At that point he had had it. 
he's done. He said, I'm finished. I'm finished with 9-11s. These are the most expensive, you know, pieces of shit I've ever owned. He said, I got, I got a, <laughs> No I one that's ever owned a 9-11 has ever said that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I, I still disagree, but, um, you know, just like that, you know, the garage was, you know, purged of, you know, specialty 9-11 tools and 9-11 service manuals. There were other motors that were, you know, grenaded that were, you know, that were, um, you know, track motors that they one by one by one, they all went out and into the garage, you know, pulled a 1988 BMW M3. Oh, wow. Uh, so an E30 M3. Now your dad had good taste. That's all I can say. So my my dad, I, I mean, I, I I was lucky growing up, you know, underneath his roof and um, having the luxury of driving his cars because he, you know, he knew how to pick them and he knew how to take care of them and he understood what they were, what they were capable of. But uh, on top of everything else, he was more than willing to share them as long as they were there and they were clean and um, I was respectful. He would allow me to drive them. And I could tell you stories of things that I did with those cars too. It was absolutely nuts, but four-cylinder, water-cooled, you know, front-engine BMW M3. It didn't have the grunt of a 911. It didn't make the, the same sounds as a 911. And your GTI would beat it off the line, so. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, and it, it was anything but fast, but that car was balanced. That started a wave of M3s. So back up. When my dad was building, you know, Chevelle motors and that sort of stuff, he also had two BMW 2002s. Nice. So, um, so, you know, he was always, he, he, he enjoyed, you know, German cars, even back then when, you know, American muscle was his thing. He kind of, I guess, decided, you know, I'm going back to my roots and, you know, there was a BMW M3 in the garage and we had a good time with that car. You know, that was his baby. And um, then as BMW would release new models of the M3, he would grab them. Um, as I mentioned, my dad, you know, got sick and passed away, but I was driving my 911 to a meeting and it was very, very rare that I did that. I was one exit away from the guy that I bought the car from. My dad called me and he said, Hey, you know, do you know anybody that wants any of these cars? I can't, I can't drive them. And they're all stick. And I said, what do you, what do you mean? He goes, I, he said, they're not doing anybody any good. He said, they're all, you know, they're all here. If you know anybody that wants them, any of your friends that are going to hang on to them, have them give me a call. I got to figure something out. Tears in my eyes, hung up the phone. Five minutes later, um, the guy that I bought my GT3 from called and he said, hey, he's like, you know, it's, it's Omar. I said, I know exactly. I recognize the number. And he said, you don't still have that car. I said, I do. He goes, what did you do to it? And I said, I've done brakes. I've done tires. I've done oil. And that's it. He's like, how many miles are on that car? And I said, I, 3, 000, I think I put 3,000 miles on that car. He said, you're not interested in selling. And I said, uh, no. And then I kind of thought about it. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, let me go to this meeting and drop by the shop. And you, you tell me what, 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 we're, what we're dealing with. And um, he had a buyer for the car. They offered me as much money as I paid for it. So I never lost a nickel. I had a lot of fun with it. The next thing was an Uber ride back to my dad's garage, my dad's house. He said, what are you doing here? I said, I, I think I'm here to pick up a BMW. Which one, which one do you want me to buy? And he's like, huh? And I said, yeah. And I said, I sold my 911 today. Now I have space in the garage. Which one do you want me to buy? I wound up driving home his BMW E46, which was the 12th BMW imported into the United States. So he was on the wait list for that car two years in advance. So that was a very clean, very, very low mile, um, you know, BMW. And, and I took his hat 
and uh, along with the BMW. And um, I don't know, they just, you know, they're special to me because they were special to him. Not a 911, but they're special to me because they were special to him. So, and that's well, that's kind of where that came from. So I gotta I gotta pull a couple threads on this. First of all, mad props to your dad for going BMW and not 944. I think he dodged a bullet there. <laughs> Again, no offense to the 944 people, but you know what I'm talking about. Okay, yep. mechanics made a living on those cars. Yep. Second, you mentioned Omar. That's Omar from Intersport, correct? That's absolutely correct. And for any of those of you that are listening in the DMV, we all travel in very small circles here in the Potomac region of PCA. So, you know, everybody knows who Omar is. So hats, hats off to him if he's listening to this episode. So very cool. I bought a few Porsches from Omar. I can't speak highly enough about the operation he runs and the care that he uh, takes of the cars and his... Um, his ability to find cars that are very, very clean, very, very special, very, very, um, you know, I mean, they're doing a, they're doing the, the the mother of all PPIs on those cars. So when you're dealing with him and any any of his inventory, um, you know, you know, you're getting a very, very clean, very strong example of what it is you're buying. And he's he's a lot of fun and he's easy to work with. He's got some phenomenal mechanics under under his roof as well. So now, what's in the stable? BMW or Porsche? I have a fishing boat. <laughs> so just like owning a BMW or an E36 at least, but anyway, moving on. <laughs> well, so I have, I have space in my garage right now. So, you know, I, I got rid of the, the E46. It was not the car for me. It was a lot of computers and a lot of weird things in that car. So um, it was fun. It was a quick car. It did not. Was it the SMG or was it the manual? No, it was a manual. It was good. a manual. So um, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say so, is good. <laughs> yeah. So, so it was not an SMG car. The E30 is still in the family. So nice. um, that will probably be the next one that, you know, I bring here. And um, it's been, you know, the car is very, very clean. It's been sitting for a little while. So you know, garages and, and cars that sit in rubber are a terrible combination. So it's going to require some, you know, some TLC and some elbow grease. That's really it. I'm, I'm, I'm without a cool car right now or a fun car right now, but, uh, you know, soon come, soon come. I'm not sure. I'm not sure which direction I'm going to go. Which, which leads into a great question. Cause I got to bring it up since you're living in both camps. What do you think of the new BMWs? Uh, man, it's funny. I saw one on the road today and the guy made a turn and let it eat and it made a great, it made a whole hell of a lot of sound and it looked like a lot of fun. It was a new, brand new M4. I think they're really, really cool looking cars. Um, they're so computerized and there's so much stuff and gizmos and gadgets in them. They're not as raw as the types of cars that, you know, excite me. So you're okay with that front end? Are you the one person that I've talked to that's okay with that snout? (laughs) You know, they haven't been my thing, but um, you know, when you see a car and a car shoots down the road and you're like, for the first time, you're like, that wasn't, you know, I caught my attention. That wasn't that bad. I I literally had that experience today with a triple black, uh, you know, brand new BMW M4. And the guy, you know, was was slow to make the turn, but once he had, you know, all four wheels pointed in the same direction, um, he got on it, and it did make a hell of a lot of noise, and it disappeared down the road pretty freaking fast. I, I, I absolutely, was I was impressed by how quickly that car, um, how quickly that car, um, you know, vanished. But I don't know, they're 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 okay. There are too many of them. There are too many of them. 
one of the gripes I have with all these cool cars today is you see so many of them, you know, M4s, M5s, M6s, you know, they're, they're, they're everywhere. AMG, Mercedes, everywhere you look, they're awesome. They're super special. They're very expensive, but there's just so many of them. I, I can't believe how many, you know, cars these manufacturers are pumping out um, these days, you know, and I remember when an M3 sighting was a rarity, you know, when a 911 sighting was a rarity, when a 914 sighting, well, it's still pretty much a rarity now, but you know, <laughs> you, you just didn't see them and encounter them as often as, um, you know, you do with all this new age, space age stuff, yeah. you know? It, yeah, they've become more available, but I also look at it from the other perspective. A lot of those specialty cars were grounded and born out of motorsport, and mm -hmm. now they're born out of status. So it's like, I need to have an M4 and they'll take, you know, the factory will take an M4 or a privateer will take an M4 and go racing with it. But it's not like the E30s or the 190Es or the early 911s and all the other, you know, specialty cars. And it's like, let's call it, let's call a spade a spade. We took a shit box mm -hmm. and we turned it into a race car and we went to go compete against the big boys, right? We were the mm -hmm. underdog with, you know, the evolution. Let's, let's look at the E30. It's an evolution of the 2002 platform, right? And mm -hmm. then they went, oh, we got to put flares on it because we want to put big more meat under there. You know, we want to compete with Audi, with the Quattro, with the big flares and all this kind of stuff. And it was, it was kind of a sign of the times, right? But now I feel like we flipped it on its nose. And to your point, there's a SLS in everybody's driveway. I mean, mm -hmm. that's an exaggeration, mm -hmm. but it's not like, oh my God, like the Gullwing, right? Like the, mm -hmm. like the old ones where you're like, that's something really cool. It's really rare, you know? Uh, you know, I second that. I mean, I really like, um, I really get into the IMSA races and go in in person because you know, you, there's so, so much of a similarity of what you see on the track um, and how it translates to what they eventually build for the road. Um, whether it's a Ford EcoBoost motor that, you know, they're running in, you know, a Daytona prototype car. Well, now Ford EcoBoost motors are all over the place um, on production cars. And a lot of that research and development, test and engineering was conducted on a track. Oh, yeah. Um, and finds its way into the cool stuff, you know, that's that's in the dealerships and on the lots these days. So that's what I think is amazing about IMSA racing, especially GT Daytona and the, you know, GT Le Mans class where the cars resemble what you see on the on the streets or if you're lucky enough in your driveway. Since we're back on that, what do you think about the current changes to IMSA with the classing, the potential merger with WEC, the lack of LMP1 cars, which is like, you know, for us IMSA guys, it's like Formula One. That's where the technology trickles down from is LMP, right? So what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I... So you guys like us go back a long way. And I remember, you know, going to Daytona and there were privateers, you know, there were people who had, they didn't have these 18 wheelers with, you know, multiple different cars and chassis and motors. They were, they were, you know, family oriented people who loved motorsports and um, the diversity of the field, the diversity of the sounds of those cars was what was amazing to me, you know, from, you know, Mazdas to Porsches to, you know, BMWs to Audis, like there was everything. And um, it's gotten to be such a high dollar, high, um, you know, cost of entry series. I wish there was a way that they could devolve back into, you know, the pure roots of that, that type of racing. And um, yeah, of course you can go to other venues and watch other certain, you know, other, you know, classes of racing that still have, you know, historic cars, but when you get to that scale, to that that level with those drivers, you know, I'd love to see it, you know, kind of devolve back into, you know, I mean, what to, it used to be. 
to that exact point, I've heard many people say that about NASCAR. It's like, let's bring it back to the old days of stock car where, yeah, I mean, let, let's be, let's be real. How many rear wheel drive Camry V8s have you ever seen on the road? They don't exist. They're all tube frames with, you know, it's almost like an RC car, but whatever plastic body you want on top of, you know, the underpinnings and and away you go. So I would love to see a stock Challenger out there or a, a true Camaro or a Mustang or whatever it is and have them go head to head. So I agree. I think more and more disciplines are that way and you know, of the big ones, like F1 is not like the Ayrton Senna days, Alan Prost days when I was a kid, you know, watching that. I mean, Formula One today, it's night and day different, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, it absolutely is. Those cars are amazing. The performance they get out of those cars, the fact that they can stick those cars to the ground, um, you know, with all of that power, you know, and and run those cars at those speeds on those tight circuits without, you know, a, a yard sale of parts after a, a session is just just amazing to me. But again, that's not, you know, that's not an every man's, you know, everyday no. man's, you know, um, endeavor anymore. At one point, it kind of used to be. Well, and to, and to that point, let's let's use stock car or let's use NASCAR as an example. I just recently, you know, read an article came across my desk where they were talking about how you know we already know they've they've gone away from carburetors, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're they've gone fuel injected. Mm-hmm. Now they're talking about doing away with the four speed manual and going to a five speed sequential transaxle, right? A totally different drivetrain configuration. I mean, they're coming into oh I don't know the 1980s now, which is great, but <laughs> but the point is. It's where they would go to figure out how stuff would last. It's mm-hmm. it was an endurance thing or longevity thing. It's like that gearbox is junk. We're gonna go mm-hmm. back and redesign it. Why would we put that in the streetcar if it breaks all the time? Stuff like that. And so those really fancy setups and even for Porsche, the PDKs and all that stuff mm-hmm. is watered down from GT racing and all that kind of stuff. So it does eventually find its way in the mainstream, but mm-hmm. it's not the same as in the old days where they took a Tempest and built a GTO and then went to the track, you know? Yeah. Yeah. One of the things on my bucket list that I haven't done yet is to go to the historic 24 or one of the historic, the HSR series, because those are all car guys that have acquired those cars or rebuilt those cars. You know, they're running them and they're running them at speed and it's not an exhibition lap, you know, but um, they're not banging into each other for all the right reasons. You know, when I look at my calendar with family and work and everything else and I'm like, all right, you know, Daytona weekend or should I go, you know, to an HSR event, Historic 24. Kind of to answer your question, I find myself getting more excited about NHSR, you know, weekend at the track just to see and listen to those cars because they're very, very different than oh, yeah. what's going on today. I mean, the, the difference in decibels, spending 24 hours at track or wherever with today's cars versus, you know, the cars of yesterday, absolutely night and day. I mean, you know, when I go to Daytona with my dad, for days, your ears would ring from the sounds of the RX-7s. I mean, those cars would, would go by. It was absolutely deafening. Ford Mustangs and the Camaros and the Corvettes. I mean, you would feel those cars in your chest. You could feel the cars in your chest until they got rid of the Corvette Daytona prototypes. And the, um, you know, the last version of the, uh, was it uh, CR7? The C7. The C7. C7. But I mean, just the thunderous, you know, voice of that car. I mean, they're playing the American anthem as they go by oh, 100%. Every, every lap. And now, you know, they're so much quieter and everything's turbocharged and um, it's so much quieter and you can literally hear the wind going over those cars if you listen carefully. Well, just wait till they're all EVs. You won't hear anything. Uh, 
I know. I mean, it's it's so it's weird. So I have mixed feelings about you know merging and blending all these things. Yeah, I mean, you're going to see the best of the best drivers and the the highest caliber teams, which is really really cool to see the way those guys and girls do that. You're getting to you know you're getting to the stratosphere of uh, of spend and cost of entry is just prohibitive from anybody who isn't the owner and founder of WeatherTech. I mean, it's very 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 tough to get into those into that series. Yeah, and to your point about the historics, I think the only exception to that rule is Goodwood. If you've ever watched a Goodwood race, those guys send it and then some. They do not care <laughs> that they're out there in a $50 million one of one Ferrari. I mean, they're in it to win it. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I see them bouncing off the hay, uh, hay bales and all that other stuff, but uh, festival is speed. I mean, they're bringing it. I mean, you could sit and look at a car. You could drive it. It's what it was built for, right? Yeah, yeah. So speaking of driving cars, you said your stable's empty. You're looking at, you know, you're looking at maybe something new. Let's talk about what's on your list. Let me lob you an easy one. In your opinion, sexiest car of all time. 964 Turbo would be the sexiest car of all time for me. It's 964 Turbo, wildly sexy to me. I've always had an eye for Ferrari uh, F430s too. I've never owned a Ferrari. My, you know, my dad's never owned a Ferrari. Um, you know, I don't know that I'll ever, you know, step into the Ferrari, you know, category, but um, there's something about 430s just have always excited me. I thought were super cool. So either a 964 turbo, preferably black or silver or a uh, Corso Rosa Ferrari. Remember I said your dad was a smart man. That's why he never owned a Ferrari. (laughs) I know. I know. I just, uh, (laughs) I hear the stories and um, I hear the stories, but you know, in terms of, you know, living art, that car is one of them, in my opinion. So sexiest, but if, you know, if you were the million dollar man, you had a million dollars to spend on a car, you'd buy anything you want. It could be one car, it could be 12 cars. It could be 150 Crown Vicks if you want it to be. Are those same two cars on the list or is there something else just further out of reach? No, I mean, uh, I'm a simple guy, you know, and that, that, that would be for me, you know, I would, I would, I, perfect world, somebody else's money, or if I had extra, extra, extra money, 964 black or silver or nice. a red a red 430 ferrari i think that would be or both um i just think that would be such a you know either or would be such cool cars to uh you know to, to have we got to flip that on its nose though so ugliest car of all time oh man the ugliest car of all times um that's an easy one the avanti have you ever seen one of those avantis <laughs> the studebaker uh, yeah i mean it's absolutely <laughs> insane so, you know, there is a there is a, a, a woman who drives one of those as a daily driver around Annapolis. So I see it all the time. And it just, it seems to get worse and worse and worse <laughs> and worse. And, um, and you, you look at it and you're like, what the, you know, what was the, di- the designer, you know, thinking like, it's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So um, that, that one is just, it never gets better. Never gets better. That was, that was the Hail Mary for Studebaker though, right? I mean, they had some weird cars, but that one definitely took the cake as they were sunsetting the brand. I mean, I don't know, it shares qualities and some lines with other cars, but I'm with you. I have seen some though, where guys have lowered them and put big wheels on them, kind of do the whole like, you know, old Corvette style of like, you know, tasteful resto mods. But then you just get to that front end and you're like, what happened? it's got no nose (laughs) yeah this particular one is is atrocious i mean it has um silver and gold wheels um, spokes you know and they must be you know 90 spokes per wheel i mean it's crazy how to have the poor person who cleans those you know i i you know I, i look at it and it's got curb feelers on it 
Um, there are all sorts of gold doodaddy, you know, oh, uh, man. Uh, accents on the car. So it really, I mean, it, it went from bad to worse with that one <laughs> in a heartbeat. And I, like I said, I, I happen to see this all the time. It does have nice paint. They take care of it. It's clean. Um, it's somebody's pride and joy and hats off to them, but um, just, just absolutely. absolutely so, so now I'm going to ask a really pointed question. Ugliest Porsche in your opinion. Ugliest Porsche in my opinion. You can say the 914. It's okay. I get it. No, I, I, <laughs> some of these new 911s, the new 992s. I don't love the looks of those cars. They're gigantic. Um, I thought you were going to say like, I was expecting, and I'm sure the audience is groaning going the 928, right? That's what I was expecting you to say, but no, you, I'm surprised. And I, and 928s are atrocious. Um, <laughs> they are bad. The new, the, the newest 911s, the 992s, I get it. They're cool cars. They're four liter power plant. It, it, I mean, they've got, you know, tons of power, but. Uh, and the motor mysteriously keeps getting closer to the driver every year, right? When you open the when you open the, the trunk of one of those cars, you know where the motor is. You no longer see the motor. You see yeah. a place to put oil. You see a place to put water, and that's really it. I think that it's a sin. You know, I mean, the people that buy those cars that are true Porsche people, are crying out loud, you don't you're not even allowed to see the motor in that car unless it comes out of the you know from the bottom. From the bottom, I, yeah, exactly. I'm baffled by that. Just blows me away. Retro question for you: Is the 959 still cool, or was it ever cool to begin with? I thought it was super cool. You know, I thought it was a super cool car when they when they came out with that. I mean, it, God, we're going back to the, you know, 88, 89 when that car was on the street. So, or well, not on the street, but in the magazines. I just, you know, I, I thought it was so futuristic at the time and the amount of power that it was pumping out and the fact that it was twin turbo and four wheel drive was kind of unheard of, you know, for a Porsche. Um, I, I, think, I think it's a pretty cool car. And, um, and I like that car because on the inside of that car, you don't, there's no difference whether you're in my old 911 or you're in, you know, an extraordinarily rare 959. I've never so, been in, I've never been in one. I've seen them in person a few times, but um, I've never been in them, but they say they have a tremendous amount of punch and um, they're just pretty predictable, fun cars to drive for those of them, those of us who are lucky enough to get in them, you know? I won't nerd out on the all-wheel drive system, but we'll, we'll sidebar that. But I'm just going to say Audi and we'll move on from that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I, I do want to ask another kind of question that goes with that. So if you were the, we, we got all the votes cast and you're the last one to cast your vote. Mm -hmm. 959 or F40? Which one is it? F40. Really? I uh, yeah, F40. They're two different animals, you know. Ferrari makes race cars and they happen to make street cars too. So that F40 was really the, you know, the generation of the racing, you know, heritage, you know, built into carbon fiber with a place to put a license plate. You see an F40 in real life, they're a lot smaller than they look in the magazine. They're a lot lower than they, they you know, they look in the magazine. They're tiny. They're essentially race cars. There's nothing to them. And I think that is so cool that, you know, a car manufacturer will, you know, take that racing heritage and package it into, you know, something that is street legal. The sounds of those cars, the looks of those cars, there is nothing, there's really nothing like an F40 in, in my opinion, but um, yeah, I'd go F40. I'm, I'm okay. The, I'm okay with that answer. <laughs> that was, that, and that was the first car that I bought in Forza 7 too. <laughs> <laughs> 
at one of these years we're gonna stop poking fun at Corvette. And and it's not because we dislike them. I have I've had the very fortunate luxury of instructing in many a car as a coach to include Corvettes. And I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of the C6s and the C7s and things like that, especially the C7. I think they finally had gotten it right. Then that's just my opinion, but whatever. What do you think of the new one? What do you, what do you think about the mid-engine Corvette? So um, I'm with you. I thought the C7s, uh, you know, not a car that I would ever own or buy or a car that I ever thought I'd like. I, I think the C7s were amazing. Great sound, amazing power. They certainly got it right. The new ones, you know, I don't know. I mean, you, you know, you see them coming at you on the road and I, they catch my attention. They catch my eye. So I think they're really cool looking. I think they need to mature a little bit and, um, and iron some, you know, some kinks and bugs out and um, they're going to be pretty hot. I think they're going to be pretty, pretty hot car, you know, but they're definitely not, you know, definitely not a, a C7 Corvette in my opinion. You know, I mean, they catch my attention and, um, you know, I mean, shit, they've done an amazing job with those cars on the track. They're certainly proving themselves on the track. That says a lot because that technology too finds its way into the dealership. So Mark, you know, having gone through, you know, racing and, and we've talked a lot, you know, you do a bunch of virtual racing and whatnot. So if, if I kind of place this as a virtual question, if you could meet any one kind of racing legend, sit down, have a beer with them, who would it be? Oh, gosh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, God, man. Oh, <laughs> Put God. you on the spot. It would definitely be, you know, maybe a Nick Tandy or one of the Porsche factory drivers, Patrick Long. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I look at these, you know, these guys that are driving, you know, for Porsche because I love the cars. I'm just so envious of, you know, of them. And, um, but to answer your question, Jörg Bergmeister, if I could drink some beer, it would be with Jörg Bergmeister, preferably in Germany. That guy's had an amazing racing career. He is, seems to be everywhere still. Just an amazing life. The, you know, the life that all of these drivers, these professional drivers live, just is amazing. But Jörg Bergmeister, that would be, uh, that would be my fellow that I drink some beer with. I think I'm with you there, man. I would love to meet like the factory Audi Group B team, you know, Michel Mouton, Walter Wuerl, Hanu Mikola, you know, Stig mm-hmm. Blumfist, any of those guys. I, I'll have a beer with any of them. Just, but there's one in particular, and this is why I brought up the virtual racing part, especially iRacing. I happened to watch the video, I think it was last year or the year before, where they released the IMSA ITU, you know, GTO Audi 90, and they interviewed Mm -hmm. Hans Stuck Mm -hmm. about it. And so he does this voiceover and they show him driving the real car and then some footage from iRacing and all this kind of stuff. And it was one of those moments where it was like, I guess, you know, with the way we do video nowadays compared Mm -hmm. to back in the day, I felt like, you know, I was in the room with him. It was one of those kind of experiences. And it's like, I would have a beer with Hans Stuck. Like he seems oh, like yeah. the coolest guy in the world. He's got the longest resume, all the crazy stuff. He's he's been fast in every car he's ever been put behind the wheel yeah. in, you know. And it goes back to his dad, you know, Hans Stuck Senior, back to the Silver Arrows days. I mean, his racing pedigree is is absolutely incredible. So that'd be my vote if I had to pick. But uh, Hans yes. Stuck, yeah. He's uh, he's had a phenomenal, you know, phenomenal career, and um, and has driven many, many, many different, you know brands of cars as well. I mean, I remember Hunchduck from his BMW days, you know, uh, driving E30 M3s when, uh, and uh, CSI BMWs even before that. So, I mean, it's just super, super cool. You know, it did it for me. It wasn't all the Audi stuff. It was in the two, early 2000s when he participated in their version of IROC. You remember we used to have, you remember we used to have IROC here in the yeah, US? I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, over there, they had the Beetle Cup in the UK. 
and it was like all these famous race car drivers and he's out there crushing it in a front wheel drive beetle <laughs> and i'm just like you're the man that's all i have to say <laughs> oh, that's amazing that's amazing so, yeah i wish i wish we had that so I, I, I wish we could live those days again i mean there was so much cool history uh you know made around the racetracks you know for drivers for cars for fans and you know maybe one day we'll get get there again absolutely and you know and that's really the premise of, of what we're doing here at gtm that's why we're talking to guys like yourself right is to continue to spread that motorsports enthusiasm to remind people there's so much of the motorsports world and the car world entangled and car culture, you know, entangled in our daily lives. It's, I don't know how we can just give up on it. There's such great stories and memories, the freedom of driving. We talk about this throughout the show and, you know, you're just a reminder of all of that. And it's been an absolutely fantastic experience talking with you and, you know, our listeners getting to know you a little bit better and, you know, hearing your story and all that. Uh, no, I, I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Eric. It's been, uh, it's been a great, you know, great conversation. And thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to share a couple stories and, uh, and uh, spend some time with you. Absolutely. And if you're out there listening, maybe you'll see Mark Trackside with us this year once he picks a new car. We'll have to borrow one of ours, I suppose, from the <laughs> fleet. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I would love to meet you guys out there and, um, at, you know, at, at, at a minimum, at least, you know, be there cooking hamburgers and fuel you guys up. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I love a track day. So absolutely. Thanks for stopping by, Mark. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization, and our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, Gummy Bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.